when God speaks into our life, you are all that I say that you are in your mind. What a powerful, powerful statement. This morning, I'd like to open in prayer. Would you pray with me as you're finding a seat? Father, thank you so much for God, the blessings of being able to come here and celebrate your goodness. God, in a time period in history where people really don't do anything that they're not made to do, God, I thank you for these wonderful people that are here. They could be anywhere they choose, but God, they have chose to come to your house to worship you, to hear about the things that you have given us to walk in a more abundant life. God, we thank you for that. In your wonderful name we pray, amen. This morning I want to begin by just telling you that as you've experienced the goodness of God here at the chapel and, and having relationships with one another and, and just, you know, being able to see one another and go, hey, how are you doing? It, it a lot of times depends on how well you know somebody, even at the chapel, of the conversation that you have with them. Um, in the book of Acts, this is first book, first part of Acts, the early church is being built. And I want you to see kind of the culture or even the climate of the spirituality of the new church. Now, you remember, everybody with me? The new church, the beginning church, the early church is beginning. So they're figuring this out too. They're just kind of saying, you know, what's this all about? And, and I want to start with this. Listen, it says in Acts 2.43, everyone around was in awe. Have you ever been in part of something that everyone was in awe? There's always times when people are ho-humming it. You know what I mean? This morning I want you to see that we're in awe. Wow! All these wonders and signs done through the apostles. But we live in a time that we want to see the supernatural, but we don't want to get it too scary. You know what I mean? But they're seeing all the supernatural things. And it goes on to say, and all the believers, there weren't a few, but all the believers lived in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. Now, now here's the action to that. You can say that they were all in harmony and you go, oh, good, good. But watch the action that proves it. This is where the rubber meets the road. It said in verse 45, they sold whatever they owned and pulled their resources so that each person's need was met. Come on. This is early church. They're experiencing what they want to experience in the love of God working in their community. Watch this. They followed a daily discipline. Boy, that, that word right there kind of rubs us sometimes, doesn't it? You mean it's going to take discipline? I just want to, I just want to, I just want to feel it. They followed the daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at the home. A lot of people miss the service and come to the meal at the home. But see, the daily discipline of the worship and then also the social the, the celebration followed by meals at the home. Every meal is celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. Now watch this. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. Now, now this morning, 
before I get into my message, I want you to realize that what we have as a chapel, don't take it for granted. That the relationships that you have built at the chapel is because you have made a choice to make a relationship. We've all been a part of things and groups that we really don't know the person sitting over there. And it's because we made the choice. As much as we say, that person isn't very friendly. No, no, it's a choice. There's people in your family that probably isn't too friendly, but you look at them and go, hey, cut that out. I know it. Uh, my children at an early age, we began to say, if you want friends, you better be a friend. Don't be sitting there going, well, you know, those people over there aren't too friendly. No, no. That, that, in, in Texas, you know what we say? That dog don't hunt. <laughs> you can't pull that on me. So, so watch this. As... As our church is growing and as we're doing something, we're putting action to what we want. We want to reach the world for God. The world that God has given us is right here. And then it goes out from there into the, into the uttermost parts of the world. But in our community, we are building a coffee shop. And people go, what in the world are we doing drinking coffee when people are going to hell? So you missed the whole point. That's the whole point. You, you could actually read that passage that I just read and say, what are they doing eating meals together? People are going to hell. See, on Sunday that we celebrate Thanksgiving, we're going to combine our 222 banquet, which is our missions banquet, with giving thanks to God. And it's a purpose of saying to God, God, we are thankful what you've given us. Now in return, we're going to do something to reach our community. Now, if you lose sight of the, the target here, you're going to get all bent out of shape and say, you know what? I've got my needs too. And through this banquet, we're going to begin asking you to pray. What, God, what you would have God or what God would have you give towards this building program. In the next week, we will begin the surveying again of where the corners of the building are going to set. The concrete contractors, the plumbers, the electricians, the, the lumber, all that will begin to roll. And, and it's, it's amazing. If you've ever been part of a building process, you'll go, what in the... Boom! It's up! And you'll go, well, when are we moving in? And it might be six months from the time that it looks like it's done. But it, it's... The process, process, and trusting the process that the reason why we're doing this is not to have a place so that we as the church can sit around and drink coffee and talk about, you know, people going to hell. People going to hell. No. The number one reason that people will get into the body of Christ is what? Relationships and fellowship with one another. And so that we're creating a place that people can come in and, and they develop relationships and, and they, do I have to go on? Friendship is so important that this morning, as we're talking in this series, that the series is a living dog is better than a dead lion. We're, we're talking about as long as you have breath, you have hope. And as long as you have hope to realize no matter where you're at, you have hope. Because a live dog, the most vilest of you know ancient history, the dog, you know this, per but it's breathing is better than a 
dead, noble lion. So this morning, I want you to see that, that that you have hope. And in your progress with God and and trusting God, there's some things that are critical. You know, uh, years ago, I I read a book that quoted uh, a poet. Now, I'm not really uh, into poems, poems. But, but I like the thought that it says out of Samuel Taylor Coolidge that described friendship as a sheltering tree. Now think about this. He said a tree is like uh, shading in the summer sun. And we know that in Texas. But also it is, has the ability to shelter during the cold winter, winter when the wind blows. This morning when we talk about the the life of David and some of the characteristics that he had and some of the things that, that go with us as believers. See, see, we live in a world that if we're not careful, we allow people's uh, talking to influence us in our way of thinking. And we, we know that words change our thinking and it changes our destiny. So we have to be very careful. We've heard the statement just because all you have to do is watch a you know TV show, movie, or hear people at work say, you don't need friends, all you need is to be certain. In yourself. Let me tell you, having friends is not a, a sign of weakness, but it, having friends is really a sign of maturity and growing. You know, as we started this year off with the little crepe myrtle, and as it's growing, I, I did love the picture that Twyler posted of hers, you know, big and blooming. And in the, just like in a person's life is how when you're blooming, people can see it. This morning, I want you to see this, that David not only had just a few trees in his life, but he had a whole grove of friends that came out in a time that was probably, now this is an opinion, but probably the hardest time of his life. He had a lot of hard times. And I want you to just put yourself in this story. Because if you just hear it as if it's a, piece of history and not put yourself in the story you will not feel therefore you will not realize or you will not appreciate the benefits of it this is a time if if you heard last week we talked about how David fell into sin and really had an affair with Bathsheba and in doing that he he killed her husband Uriah by putting him in front of the battle at the hottest point to get killed and he he died and and then to realize that because of that she was pregnant and the baby died and because of that ripple effect of that sin in his life that that the word of God came that that's going to affect even your children and they're going to have problems in your family this is a time now now stick with me you've had some rough times in your life and, and probably if you've been breathing for very long, you realize that. Personally, David is eaten up with really just guilt. He, he's got bitterness. He's got, in his family, he's got had rape and murder, incest. Is there anything worse than family troubles? Can I get a, get a, get a, get a amen? When you think about it domestically, his his whole life is shattered. Politically, he's losing respect from all the nobles and the people of Israel. The critics are growing. And in this time of problem, here comes a bigger problem, and his name is called Absalom. 
Now, it'd be tough if you're going through this circumstance and it was an enemy against you, but when the enemy is your son. Come on now. See, see, earlier he had been running from his boss, Saul. And that, in my opinion, is a little bit different because the authority over him was jealous. And he, he could kind of say, you know what, I'm going to be a man after God's own heart and I'm not going to do those things that he is doing. And, and we all respect that. But there's something different when your subordinate is wanting to kill you or to take your position at work or, or, or to you know, kind of give you a bad name. There, there's something that goes off on the inside if we're not careful. And this is exactly the period that we're talking about. Absalom has killed his brother that raped his sister. Now that's a mess. But if you were here last week, you remember that here Absalom flees for his life and David does nothing. Eventually, he brings him back to Jerusalem, but doesn't see him, does nothing. And it's got to a point where it's boiling over, and Absalom decides he's going to take advantage of the distress of the people of Israel. Now, I want you to see this, because this is a point that I, I really believe that we can identify. People that are in distress have a problem. They're vulnerable. They can be influenced for the good or they can be influenced for the bad. Now, listen, because I'm, I'm, I'm teaching you something that's going to, let me tell you, it, it's affected my life. I, I've preached for a long time that God has put you in the place for a reason. And, and a lot of times we're in a place that's a dark place. But when we realize that God has put us there to be the light, that we're anointed to solve the problem where we're at, all of a sudden, it gives us purpose, and we can stand up. We can step up, and we go, okay, okay. God, I need you today. And some of us know that we get in those places, and we go, I have no clue. God, you have to. Your Holy Spirit through me has to speak the truth in this situation. I, I'm not going to speak fear. I'm not going to speak unbelief or doubt. But there is a negative influence that sometimes comes from an unbeliever that wants to take advantage of that distress, that situation. Now, you can customize this to wherever you're at in your life or wherever you work or your family or whatever, but listen to me. When, when somebody at your work situation, your family, whatever, you know, they go, you know, I just, I just don't know. They, they might have a problem with the boss. You know, he, he or she said this and I don't know. The person that takes advantage of that distress has been waiting for that opportunity. Well, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to just go in there and tell him what for. Makes me sick thinking about those people. They're taking advantage in a negative way of a person in distress. They're not speaking love. They're not walking in love. You get a place where a person's in distress and somebody can nudge them. You need to just quit. And they quit and they go, why did I quit? Here's Absalom, and he's in this place, and he sees that there's a distressful time. David's in a low time. He's taking some time where he's going, God, I, I messed up. I, I'm, God, I don't know. And, and probably taking on more than he's receiving the grace of God. Has anybody done that?
Not for sure, but I think somebody did that right there, you know. <laughs> to receive grace sometimes is humbling. And here's David, and he, he at this point, he's not real good at it. But Absalom is real good at taking advantage of the distress. And it says that he gets 50 men to run ahead of him in his chariot, kind of making, making him look pretty good. You know, he's got his Ferrari out there, and he's got, you know, the people looking at him, and he's got the hair that, you know, cuts once a year for so many pounds of hair. Did you know that? He, that's what the Bible says. He's, he's got the locks. I mean, he's all that and a bag of chips, you know. And the Bible says that he goes out and he gets positions himself right where people are coming in Jerusalem and they're seeking audience with the king, which the king would give justice. His advisors would advise what the uh, judgment would be. And, and so the people would come in. But Absalom would park his little Ferrari out front and say, Hey, where are you from? Come on over here. Put a big old wet one on his cheek and says, I am so glad to love you. Let me tell you something. The king up there, he ain't going to hear what you have to say. But if I was, I'm just saying, if I, if I was up there, I would give you justice. But you do whatever you want. You, you seem taking advantage of the situation. And it begins to turn against David to the point where the Bible says these words. And so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Stole them. Can I just encourage you as believers, children of God, don't take part in that. Don't take part in taking advantage of people in distress. Take advantage of being a child of God and step in and give life. An encouragement. So, so here's the situation. He has cooked up this conspiracy against King David. And at the appropriate time, he's already spread word. He's already stole the hearts of Israel. A trumpet's going to sound. And at that point, you're supposed to, wherever you're at, go, Absalom is the king of Hebron. Hebron is kind of the second capital. It's always been the second capital. It was where David was, king of Judah, before he was king of all of Israel. Hebron was a very important place. That's the place where Caleb, if you remember, conquering the promised land. An older guy comes in and he looks at Joshua and he says, I'm as strong today as I was back then. Give me that mountain. The mountain was Hebron. Well, see, Absalom had fled to Hebron and started setting up his own kingdom. And the Bible says that he begins to spread the word. At the appropriate time, we're going to sound a trumpet. Everybody's going to yell that I'm the king. And sure enough, it happens. Well, the word gets back to David, and, and it says this. A messenger came to, and told David, the hearts of the men in Israel are with Absalom. Now, can you imagine that? Here's the king, and he thinks, what? What have I done against them? The trumpet blows and it says that David said to his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. Absalom, We must leave immediately or he will move quickly and overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. This is not a light thing. His own son wants to kill him and take his position. Here's this. You could say once great king that has overcome Saul, he's killed Goliath, he's been a champion to the people. And he's grabbing clothes and putting them in a bag 
And again, the band strikes up his theme song. On the road again. Just can't wait to get. And he's fleeing from his son. He fleed from Saul. And here he goes again. What in the world? I'm too old to do. And he goes on. And the Bible says, here is, here's the, Here's what I want to teach today and preach. At this place, we're going to see at the lowest of the lowest that David probably has ever been in. The trees, the friends that come around him. This morning, as I've already preached this a couple times this week and this morning. and As you know, David does something to me because he's so transparent. I mean, it's just so transparent in the Bible of the things that he's gone through. Verse 16 of 2 Samuel chapter 15, it says, let me just go on. It says, so the king and his entire household escaped on foot. The king left ten concubines behind to tend to the palace and So they left step by step by step, and then they paused at the last house. So can you picture this? They're going out of the city of Jerusalem, the the city of David, and they get to the last house, and David looks back, and all the people that are with him begins to pass by him. It says the whole army passed by him, and the Kithites and the Pelethites and 600 Gittites who had marched with him from Gath went past. I want you to see these, you could say five groups or seven people that that came out during this tough time. These are people that would say, these are unknown, these possibly are nobodies. They really are world changers. I'm going to tell you names that you probably have never heard of before. And and chances are after dinner you won't be able to remember them again. But there's somebody that changed the world because we know that everything after this point, after the situation takes care of itself, after this, all the things that David accomplished would not have accomplished if he wouldn't have had these friends to stand by. Friends are so important. Now this morning I want you to see this because the first friend is Ittai the Gittite. That's the first one that is mentioned. It says this, all the men passed him along with the Kittites, the Pithites, and the 600 Gittites who had accompanied him from Gath marched before the king. The king said to Ittite the Gittite, say that, Ittai the Gittite. That was horrible. Say it again, Ittai the Gittite. It's kind of fun saying it, isn't it? Ittai the Gittite. He says this, Why, David says, why would you come along with us? Go back and stay with King Absalom. You're a foreigner and an exile from your homeland. These are 600 men. This is just amazing when you remember that David, during his time of running from Saul, goes down to the the Philistines. It was a time that he he has to get out of Israel, really, because he's fearing for his life. And he goes into the the Philistines. Do you remember who's from Gath? Goliath. And he goes into 
the Philistines area, the country, because he knows that Saul isn't going to follow him into there or it'd be war. And instead of coming, he's coming in as an Israelite, a Jew, but when he leaves, instead of hating him, 600 men follow him out of the land of the Philistines. Again, you hear that he's a man after God's own heart, but this is action that, again, you can see it, that there are people that are willing to follow him. And David says, why don't you go back? This is a, remember, I, I'm, I don't have a palace. I, there's not going to be a throne. You know, the, the luxury, the fringe benefits of being with me, they're over. He says, shall I today make you wonder with us? Will I go where I will? Return and take back your brothers. Mercy and truth will be with you. In other words, I'm not going to hold it against you. You're just going back. But look, look at this. It says, But Ittite answered the king and said, As the Lord lives, and as for my lord the king lives, surely wherever my lord the king may be, whether for death or for life, there also your servant will be. See, I think Ittite, the Gittite, knew something that sometimes we forget. Being at the right place at the right time to be with the right people so that God can bring all the circumstances to our benefit Sometimes it's a hard place, and it's a place that we're following King David out of the city. God, I want the right place in the right time at the right place to be at a fancy hotel with someone very important looking at me going, you're a good guy. Hey, rub it now. No. And here's this leader, Ittai, and he's saying, no, no. And it's almost like he's having the Ruth moment. Do you remember Ruth in the Bible, Naomi? If you've ever been to Mother's Day, you probably heard this. And Ruth says to Naomi, when Naomi says, go on home, go on back, I don't have any more. <laughs> Wherever you go, I go. Your people, my people, your God, my God. In other words, I'm no, you can't shake me. This is what Ittai the Gittite is saying to his friend. No, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. If they put your neck in a noose, my neck's going to be there too. I'm going with you, David. And my 600 warriors... Got your back. Everything falls apart. I'm going to be right with you. Verse 23. It says, The whole country said, continued on, they wept aloud, and all the people passed by. The king also crossed the Gideon, Gidron Valley, and all the people moved on towards the desert. Now, again, they're going out of Jerusalem. They've went to the last house and looked back and all the people passed him. Then they went down into the valley and they're, they're leaving Jerusalem. The next group, it says Zadok was there. Zadok was there too. And all the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God and Abathar offered sacrifice until all the people had finished leaving the city. So these two priests and Levites, the Levites that were priests, are... Uh, having sacrifices and offering sacrifices to encourage the people as they're walking by. They have the Ark of the Covenant that symbolizes the presence of God. And when people saw that, again, their hope would come up. And so these two friends of David, Zadok and Abathar, come out. Now let me just summarize what happens. David says, I want you to go back. And this is, this is tough when I read it because he says, you know what? Pretty much, I, I'm... 
I'm, I'm just one of God's children. In other words, I, I don't have right to the Ark of the Covenant. I don't have right to the presence. It, it needs to stay with the people in Israel. He says, I want you to go back and take the Ark of the Covenant. If God so be it, I want to see it again. But if it's, if it's not for him, if it's not my, his will that I would see it again, then so be it. Such a humble spirit. And he says, I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And I want you to watch, and maybe your two sons, these two priests, maybe your two sons can send word to me about what's happening in, it, in Jerusalem. So they, without question, about face and go back to Jerusalem. I, I love that. And again, just being friends, they say, we'll do what you've asked. I, I want you to see that you have two men that are priests that could have said, are, are you... I'm offended that you wouldn't want me to go with you. But they're so good of friends, they say, whatever you want, whatever you need, I'll do it. And they're willing to do it. Again, you see a man after God's own heart and, and being able to influence his friends and having friends that influence him, that they love him. No resistance. In verse 30, it says this, So then David continued up the Mount of Olives, Weeping as he went, his head was covered, and he was barefoot. This is the king. He's barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went up. Have you ever been in a spot like that? Where you feel like you didn't have any friends and just a few friends that were just like a breath of fresh air? The circumstances of your life had gone bad and maybe it's your fault, maybe it's not your fault, but whatever it is, maybe you went through a divorce or a relationship problem or maybe it was a loss of a job or, or maybe an investment, whatever it is, and you're just so down. This, this is where David is. He's mourning. And then he gets even worse news that one of his closest friends and trusted advisors, you, you don't ask somebody for advice that you don't, trust enough to speak into your life and this guy's name is Ahithophel and it says the word comes to him and they said that Ahithophel is with Absalom if you've ever had a close friend that you have history with against you. you you know what is happening in David's life he prays oh Lord turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness matter of fact in Psalms 41 9 David kind of relives it by saying later even my close friend whom I trusted he who shared my bread has lifted up his hill against me So in the middle of these wonderful friends, he hears one of his friends have turned against him. But I want you to see this next one. And his name is Hushai, the archite. Now listen to this. When David arrived at the summit, in other words, he's coming up the Mount of Olives. When David arrived at the summit where people used to worship God, Hushai, the archite, was there to meet him. His robe Torn and dust on his head. David said to him, If you go with me, you'll be a burden to me. 
But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I'll be your servant, O king. I, will, I was with your father's servant in the past, but now I will be with you. Then you can help me by frustrating Ahithophel's advice. Then he says, won't Zadok and Abathar the priest be there also with you? And I want you to send me word. Even in the middle of his biggest distress of his life, he's still a military genius and planning a strategy. But this guy, Hushai, when he meets him, his robe is torn. He's got dust on his head, which is really a, a symbol and a sign of what they were doing. Is They're saying, I'm totally bankrupt. I'm crushed. That's why Job, in the story of Job, when he's lost everything, does the same thing by putting dirt on his head, ashes on his head. Again, to say, I have nothing. It was a sign of compassion for David to say, I make my problems your problems because I don't want you to be alone. I'm going to stay with you. Sometimes the pain is so so bad and you turn around from the last house and, and you look back of what all the things that you've been blessed with and there's a friend that is there. And this is who Hushai archite is. See, Ahithophel has betrayed David and now is going to support Absalom, his son, and really trying to kill him. I want you to listen to this. Because this, this just crushes me every time I think about this. Ahithophel is a giant. The whole country of Israel seeks his advice. He is a, an advisor to King David, but now he's turned against him. Hushai is another giant. And when you go through tough times, and even when you think, I can't make it because that friend has betrayed me, God will bring another equal friend to stand with you as a believer. If you've cultivated and developed those friendships ahead of time, I'm not going to go into details of all of this story, but I want to tell you just real quick, when Absalom comes into the city, he calls for the advice of Ahithophel and says, what should I do? And all of Absalom's boys are there and all his men that are fired up to conquer David. And Ahithophel comes to the scene and says, here's what you need to do. Absalom, I want you to get about 12,000 of your mightiest warriors and pursue David right now and just kill him. And bring back everybody else to your side and you'll be a hero. And all of Absalom and his men went, that's the best, we're going to do that. But Absalom said, before we do that, let's hear from Hushai. And unknowing to Absalom, David's friend steps up and says, you need to just wait. Because your dad is a warrior. And if you pursue him now, he'll strike you. But what you need to do is just wait. Gather all of Israel and then come out against him. And do you know that Absalom thought and said, Hushai is the best advice. We'll wait. Now listen, something that little persuaded Absalom to stop right there, and it gave David time to regroup that eventually defeated the, the rebellion. 
God had put a friend right in the middle to win the battle eventually that David had to believe and trust in God. But let me give you the last group of friends. They are named Shobi, Machir, and Brasilia. I love that. Listen to this. When David came to Mahanaim, which again, let me just tell you, if, if, you're, if you're a Bible scholar, you probably tried to recall that name. But where David came to it, Mahanaim, was the same place that Jacob years ago. I mean, you know, you got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had come to, and he's about ready to cross the, the river there and meet Esau, and he's fearful, and he's in distress, and the angels come to minister to him right there before seeing his brother that he thinks is going to kill him. And here's David, and he comes to Mahim, and here comes three angels, really his friends. And these three friends come, and it says this, they bring bedding and bowls, articles of pottery. They also brought wheat and barley, flour, roasted grain, beans and lentils, honey, curds, sheep, uh, sheep and cheese from cow's milk for David and his people to eat. For they said, the people had become hungry and tired and thirsty in the desert. I love that. You know the thing about good friends is they're practical. Would it have been crazy if these three would have brought him gold and silver and said, we want to, what is that going to do for me out here? But a good friend will think, what is it that he would say that he needs? And everybody that knew David probably would say, he wants to take care of these people that are with him. So can you imagine that when these guys show up with the provisions that they're missing because they had to flee for their life, what that does for him? As the leader of people that decide to follow him because of who he is, when they could easily said, I'm not going to help you. Absalom's not chasing us. He's chasing you. When I think of these three, just think of these possible excuses. The guy named Shobi is from Ammon. At this point, he could have said, David, you fought my people and destroyed them. I'm not going to help you. You were cruel to them. But he chose not to. Mature is one of these guys that are mature, is one of these guys that if you know a little bit of biblical history, he also pops. And the reason why he pops is because in your mind, you realize that it says he's from Lodibar. And if you know anything about Lodibar, your mind goes back to when David says, is there anybody in my friend's Jonathan's household that's still living that I can honor him? And they go, there is one of his son that's still living. His name is Mephibosheth. And he lives in a dried up old place called Lodibar. Mephibosheth was living with this guy, Machir. This is the guy that helps people. And so here's Machir with Shobi and Brasilia to come to help David in, their, in his time of need. But at the same time, he could have said, you know what? I paid my dues. Don't, don't you hate people? Not hate people, but don't you hate that saying that people use? I paid my dues. I've already done that. Let somebody else do it. He could have said that. But he didn't. 
Brasiliite is another guy that if you read the next chapter, you realize that he's 80 years of age. I think that he could have used the old, I'm retired and I'm too old. I've served my time, let somebody younger do that. If you need provisions, maybe one of those younger guys that took my, whatever. No reward, no applause. But to them, it was no big deal. That's what they're going to do to a friend and for a friend. Can I just sum up? The last part, Absalom is killed in battle. And Jerusalem and Israel is placed back in David's hands as king. This morning I want you to see that how important it is for us to have friends. The title of my message is this. You ready? Dig your well before you're thirsty. See, a lot of people go through a distressful time and they say, I need a friend, but they never made a friend up to that point. The word friend, friendly, friendship is mentioned a hundred times in Scripture, depending on what translation you have. I want to point out some things that you know. Friends are not optional. They're essential. Friends are not automatic. They have to be cultivated. They're not neutral, but they impact our lives. They come in varying degrees. Some are going to play more significant roles in our life than other people are. But but again, friends, there's acquaintances, casual friends, close friends, intimate friends. This morning, I want to pass out something just to put in your hands as a takeaway. This morning, in just a few minutes, just a few minutes, I wanted you to have something in your hands as a takeaway of this morning, something that you could respond to what you heard. To to realize that each one of us, to again, to, to, to grow in our spirituality, in our growth, we have to have friends to walk in love. We have to do that because that's a commandment of God. This morning, if you don't have friends, maybe it's time to start making friends. If you don't have some trees, so to speak, you better grab a shovel and start digging and and plant you some trees. This morning, there's a lot of ways of ending a service. There's times around the altar. There's times in worship. But this morning, I want to do something That's practical, that actually, all those are practical, but today I want you to see something and I want you to write down, if you can, five intimate friends that would stand with you in a dark time. Can you write down five friends? Now, wait, 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 before you start, I'm going to make it a little bit harder on you. Before you start, you have to cross it out. I don't want you to use your wife or your husband. And the reason why I say that is not to be mean, but the, the reason I say that is this. If we're not careful, most people will only do what they have to do. And we all know if you're married, you have to be a friend somewhat to that person that's going to be there every day. 
but I want you to put five people down that, that's not in your family. Somebody's going, well, golly gee, pastor, there goes my five. Come on, five people. That's the first thing that I'm going to ask you to do. Now, again, write this on the side of the paper because some of you are going to take some time to think about it. Do they all go to church? I didn't say, do they say that they're a Christian? Do they go to church? And you could put a why or no or whatever you want to put on the, the side of them. But this is what I'm going to ask you to do. The third thing is I want you to pray for their salvation if they're not a Christian. And I want you to pray Again, to strengthen them as a friend to you, but also you to be a friend to them. Some of you are thinking of people that you go, well, I don't know if they would stand with me or not on a rainy day. If I got in trouble, if I, if I saw this, if I did this. In the book that actually is titled, Dig Your Well, before you're thirsty, tells a story about a, a group of men that were talking at dinner, and one of them said, the strangest thing happened to me. Last night at 2 o'clock in the morning, I got a call from a, a gentleman that was in a just a hysterical state. And, and he said, my accountant this morning told me that I was bankrupt if I didn't get $20,000. And I just want to ask you, would you loan me 20000 And the guy at the dinner party said, I, I, just, I just couldn't do it. I didn't really know him that well. And so the conversation around the table was, to the gentleman, how many people could you call that would loan you in a rough time? Not 20000 but just someone that would loan you or to help you out in a rainy day. And they all were like, ooh, I don't know. I don't. And then he, they asked the guy that wrote the book, and he said, I could call 50 people. And they went, no way. You're, you're. And, and the book begins to explain how he was a friend and had answered at least 50 people's time of emergency that they called him. As an illustration, just quick. Four years ago, this week, a friend of mine passed away. His name was Walt McCarty. He was a guy that you could be broke down on the highway at 2 in the morning and call him, and he'd come rolling out. How do I know that? I did it. Come over and fix something at your house. There was some ladies in our church that the heater broke down, and I, I'd call him and he was over at Ethel's house fixing her heater. Ethel's passed away now. He was somebody that connected with a lot of people. Just one story of his connection. That I'm talking to him as he's going down the highway on an icy day. And he goes, man, we, there's people off the highway. And I'm talking to him and he goes, wait just a minute. And you can hear him roll down the window. You guys okay? Bob, how are you doing? I haven't seen you. Just out of the... He knew the guy that had been pulled over. 
You've heard people that say that they never meet a stranger. This guy would be in line at a restaurant or something to pay his bill and talk and just in a few minutes know somebody that knew somebody that knows somebody that boom. One of the biggest funerals that I was ever a part of because he had so many friends. This morning, I want us as a church to walk in that kind of love with one another. Realize that big things that happen in people's life are important for us as friends to be there. Not only in the bad times, but also in the good times. To, to share in experiences when their children are growing up or, or whenever the situation is. It's important for us to say, you know what, no to all these other things that are so busy. I've got a lot of busy stuff, but they're not as important as the things that are important to my friends. So this morning, I just want to end this. As you're filling that out, and if you didn't fill it out, don't, don't, don't be a poser and say you're going to do it, but I want you to actually do it. Fill it out by a friend that would stand with you on a rainy day. And if you come to the self-conclusion, I don't know if I have five friends, then allow this day to be the beginning that you begin to cultivate friends, that you're, that you're here early on Sunday morning and you're shaking hands, meeting people. That you're digging your well before you're thirsty. Let's pray. Father, today, you're such a merciful God. And Father, the, the great news is that no matter where we have been, that today is a new day. And Father, we can choose to start today in a new life redeemed. God, you said you have called us by name. We do not fear. Why? Because we are yours. And Father, today you loved us so much. Father, today we want to love the people that are around us to give into their life, not be offended, not walk in offense, not fall for the bait that Satan puts out in front of us. Whatever they did, God, allow us, God, Help us make the choice to forgive them. The God, that today we would walk in love. That we would have friends. That we would stand with them just like these friends stood with David. And that they would stand with us. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.